Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green of the Morning Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Sam and I have just finished a podcast with a World Cup commentator. The youngest, officially at the minute, World Cup commentator for any organisation. It is BBC's Match of the Day main presenter. No, it's not main commentator, rather. I made a mistake. Get in. Main commentator, Guy Mowbray. But... You would have had everyone on false tenterhooks then saying, oh my God, the lads have nailed down Lineker. (laughs) Oh well, oh well. Even even people like me can make mistakes, I'm telling you. Um, But in all seriousness, one of the best commentators in the planet, on the planet right now, Sam? Is it that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got the... Look, he's the main commentator for the BBC, so he's the main person that so many kind of younger generation who aren't fortunate enough to have satellite TV or whatever that are going to be are going to be um, watching and listening to. So, you know, we we grew up and what the main commentators on Terrestrial were your Motsons, your Davis, your Moors. Your Brackleys, if you uh, watch Serie A on a Sunday. And, you know, whilst, you know, the Sky and BT's coverage is so all-encompassing now, like, for your for your main, particularly, like, England tournament events, your your main voices, it, it, it's Guy Mowbray now, isn't it? It, it certainly is. And, look, guys, work for everybody. Literally hmm. everybody. And I mean everybody. Europe sport. BBC, ITV, uh, BT Sports, Satanta Sports, everybody, basically. And he's commentating some of the biggest games, Champions League, I've mentioned World Cup, Premier League he's been involved with for such a long time. Um, it, 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 and, he's, and he is, he is, I think the word is addictive. He's addicted to football in general, and you can tell from some of his answers, which you'll listen to very, very shortly. I think for me, some. He, he just he just gets the tone right, and I think that's very very important in commentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. He's he's that's why he's one of the best, isn't it? Um, it's it's just. I mean, I, I go over my earliest Mowbray moments in the show um, because it, it it involved Newcastle. So, and this was this was still twenty odd years ago. So he's been doing it for so long, and he's now at. He's now at the the top of the tree, really, isn't he? Um, Match of the day is the iconic program in British television, and he's the he's the main commentator, whether he admit it, whether he admits it or not. Um, he is he is the main man. So um, to get him on is uh, is a very big coup for us. And um, yeah, he was he was great fun. He's he's really really good guy. Yeah, he certainly is. Certainly is, and massive York City fan. Makes no secret of it um, as well. And I, I think the one thing from, from Guy's commentary that it, I, I, I think people that do the, do their field or being involved in their field for such a long time don't let them in that they're good, I, I, I think. And I, just some people that we've spoken to, we've obviously spoken to footballers, we've spoken to commentators, we've spoken to other sportsmen and women. And they don't like admitting that they're good at what they do. 
And I think even Guy, even to this day, even though everybody else will say he's a fantastic commentator, he's still going to admit that, which I think, I think that makes him even more likable, so, if you like. Yeah, um, and it, it shows just such a lack of complacency because there's you, the last thing you want, which is, I think, where some pundits on the satellite channels have gone wrong in recent years because they believe their own hype and they've gone wrong. Whereas you need that ground and you need, um, you need that lack of complacency and that hunger to, to kind of hone and to continue to improve your craft in any walk of life, not just football punditry, Jesus. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why you say why, why guy continues to be one of the, one of the main men in football broadcasting. He certainly is. And again, the, the Premier League, it's not a million miles away, Sam, as we record. It's five weeks today that the Premier League will be be back on our screens and be back um, bigger and better than ever, let's be honest. You've got Newcastle versus Aston Villa five weeks. In five weeks' time, which is obviously the first game of the season. A little spoiler for everybody. Guys, first game's on a Sunday. There's two games on Sunday, so well, I think maybe it'd be three games on Sunday. But it's one Pretty of sure we weren't allowed to say that. I didn't say which game, though, did I? No. Probably, probably leave. Probably leave yeah. that bit there, though. Yeah, I wouldn't go any further on that. No. We may have to, we may have to edit that bit because I can't remember. Where no, no. I think we're fine. No one's. No, we'll be all right. No. BBC a, big was, was, was <laughs> top, top brass at the Beeb. Don't listen. There was certainly other stuff that we said, well, we definitely couldn't say anything, and we definitely won't say anything. So we'll, um, we will. Yeah, BBC, BBC top brass don't listen to any podcasts that aren't on BBC Sounds, and due to uh, the lack of endeavour from Matt Livingston, um, our podcast <laughs> is not on BBC Sounds yet. <laughs> yet, we will see what happens with that. But um, Guy talks about so many different experiences. He, he, he loves the northeast and generally mentions his time. In the northeast, uh, very proudly, let's be honest. I think obviously he was to another team in the northeast, not not as big as Newcastle, but he does uh, mention uh, that team and Newcastle in uh, very good light as well. But um, what is your favourite Mowbray moment? I say it in the show, so I'm not going to say. Ooh, well, I would say my favourite Mowbray moment. Ooh, this is difficult. If it's if it's if I'm taking my Newcastle hat off, because if it is Newcastle related, it is the five-one. However, my favourite Mowbray moment is probably Man City 3 QPR 2 when, when Aguero wins it. Because he's, I, I think people forget his commentary in that as well because everyone talks about Martin Tyler's commentary, which was quite rightly incredible, incredible piece of commentary. But if you get a chance, listen to Guy Mowbray's commentary on Man City QPR because it was, it was excellent on that day as well. But um, I think it's about time we get this podcast up running. It's a little bit longer for you, this podcast, which I'm sure you'll love. We normally try to keep it to an hour, but you've got a bit of extra time with um, Sam and I with Guy Moby. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a master at work talking about his work because it is bloody brilliant, I'm telling you. So this is the Dreaming Among the Show with Guy Mowbray. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV today. Sam and I are joined by, by a man who's one of the best and most experienced football commentators. He has been commentating 
for nearly 30 years on all different sorts of football games. And he has com- commentated on the biggest and the best games for some of the biggest companies in the biggest competitions. So it's a big, big welcome to BBC's own Match of the Day main, pre- uh, main commentator, rather, Guy Mowbray. Welcome to the Green and Milner Show, Guy. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, you made me feel old already. Um, 30, yeah, it is 30 years this year. Yeah, I've been, been doing this job. So, uh, yeah. Oh, God. Time flies. Uh, Guy, I have to say, I think when I was doing a little bit of research on you, in terms of your commentating journey, I, I saw a quote and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I wasn't good enough to play, but I get paid for watching it. And I think that's absolutely brilliant because I think if you aren't good enough to play, because that is pretty much the pinnacle for any young boy, girl, whatever, to, to be a footballer, you certainly have the, the second best job in the world, surely. Funnily enough, you've, you've just you've just summed it up how I say it myself. It will always be the second best. People say you've got the best job in the world. Say, no, I haven't. I've got the second best job in the world. And I would probably, and I still think this now, I'd swap the last 30 years for just one year wearing that shirt um, or the equivalent of um, York City, but who knows, maybe higher, but I'd be quite happy with that. And and, and England, and that would be it. I'd swap one year. I would, honestly, because that's still, that's still the best job in the world. I know it's not as long-lived. Um, you can keep doing this until your eyes and your voice goes, hopefully, as long as you've, you're still doing it okay. Um, so it is, to me, the second best job in the world, and, and, it, and it always will be. Um, but I'm very happy with it, put it that way. I, w- I wouldn't swap this one either, <laughs> given the fact that I, I couldn't play very well anyway, and I certainly can't now. What is your earliest memories of, of football and what, what sort of got you into it? Was it, was it a family member what, that was the influence or how, how did you fall in love with the game? Sports just been everything. It's, it's my entire life, quite frankly. Um, my dad was a, he played rugby to a really high standard. Um, in fact, it was in the days where if you played rugby union, you weren't allowed to play rugby league because it was the professional sport. Um, so he played a whole season of rugby league under pseudonyms, A and other, SOLs, things like that. He played for Hull and Hull KR for a year and he um, he, he, he preferred his job as a, a, a teacher at the time. Um, uh, draftsman, then he was he was in the Navy, then he was a draftsman and then he became a teacher. And he, he was a PE teacher for many, many years and a qualified football coach, cricket coach, rugby coach and all that. So we had we were very lucky that in our garden shed we had like, old balls and cricket stumps and like equipment that had been sort of hoovered up over the years from various clubs and what have you. Our, our house backed onto a playing field. So my days, whatever the season, morning, noon and night, I was just on that field playing predominantly football throughout the, the winter and autumn, spring months, and then cricket throughout all summer. And I did that. I've, I did that all my life and I still do it now, to be honest, as, as much as I possibly can. So um that was it. I just I didn't I didn't know anything else, and and never have done. So I was always going to do something involved in sport. And I think I'm one of those people that I think there's a lot of us around. You two are probably the same. I can handle myself at pretty much every sport I turn my hand to, but I'm not excellent at any of them. Um, I often think that actually. I wonder if I'd trade being okay at a few things to be really good at one thing. I think I probably would. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that that said, I've got a lot of joy from playing golf and cricket and what have you over the years. So. Um, that's it. I've just I've always been obsessed with obsessed and obs- and I mean obsessed with football as well. So from 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 three four years old, um, I've never known anything else. So to get the opportunity to work in it and it to be a full time job, which it has been for as you say thirty years now, it, it's it's been fantastic. 
we've, we've spoken to other commentators as well, a guy, and they, they talk about the love and the love of sport in general, because like you say, it, you have to be, you have to have like an addiction to want to do it full, full time. I think, I suppose, the, the main question I'd like to get out of this is, who were your commentary inspirations, if you like, and when did you first think, actually, commentary could be the route for me, rather than actually, you know, playing? Um, this, this isn't meant to sound disrespectful at all, because I admire and respect all the guys, but I, I never had any commentary inspirations, because, I, I suppose I do now, looking back, but I never wanted to be a commentator, I wanted to be a player, so all my heroes were players. Um so I never really listened to a commentator and thought, I want to be like them ever. That didn't happen. But looking back now, and I think it's the same for the, the generation now, you, you're sort of the people you admire are the ones, the voices you grow up listening to. It just subconsciously goes in. Um, so for me, it would be John Motson, Barry Davis, Brian Moore, Martin Tyler. They would be the voices that I've grown up listening to. Roger Thames, you know, these, these people that, um, whether it be local level or national level, they were the... They, I, Brian Butler, Peter Jones on Radio 2, as it was then. These are the voices that just became absorbed into me. Um, and even now, when I when I think about what I might say during a commentary, and I, I never pre-rehearse anything, so I don't, there's nothing scripted, but if I think about how that, you know, I might, for example, an introduction is semi-scripted. If Gary Lineker is handing over, I will think of my first words before the game starts, because there's nothing to describe or look at. So I'll think about where we're going with what I'm going to say. And when I sort of rehearse it in my mind, I don't hear my own voice. Never. I still don't to this day. I hear Martin Tyler saying it. I hear John Watson saying it. I hear Clive Tilsley saying it. Because they, they to me, are proper commentators. I'm still a kid in, in my head. I know that's hard to believe. But in my head, I'm still a kid trying to follow what they're doing. So I hear it in their voices. And if it sounds right in their voice, then it was, that'll, that'll do. That's decent commentary then, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I suppose they're the ones I look up to. But again, again, I go back to um, childhood memories because we backed onto a playing field, our local village team, who were very successful. Um, they played on that pitch. My bedroom was right behind the goal and I had a perfect viewpoint. And I don't really remember too much of this, but my mum used to say from four or five years old, I would um, commentate on the game that was happening that Saturday afternoon. We'd be out playing and kicking the ball into the back of the net and things like that and just playing behind the goal. And then quite often I'd go back inside and I would be in my bedroom and I would be talking to myself, essentially. It's what we do. It's not exactly a glamorous <laughs> job. But I would be commentating on the game. And actually, you guys having me on, it, it's, it, it's quite appropriate because uh, Osbaldwick, which was the village just outside York, um, always played in black and white stripes. So I actually grew up commentator on Newcastle games not knowing <laughs> later on because, um, because they played in black and white stripes they had red numbers on the back I remember that so it was very similar and so number seven was Kevin Keegan number nine was Chris Waddle at the time um, and I, I would look at and so and then whoever the opposition were say if they were in all red then that would be Liverpool and I would I would put their sevens Kenny Dalglish and I would I would have their numbers and I'd be doing a commentary apparently um, so obviously something was inbuilt and something was there. Um, and then it was actually my dad one day who, who finally inspired me at the age of 20 to start doing something about it, 1920, when he very brutally, and bear in mind he was a, he was a coach and he was a Peter, he knew what he was on about. He, he basically just sort of look, you are not going to get paid for playing football. I think I was still dreaming in my head and he just went, 
you have lots of contacts. You have lots of people you know in the game. You have lots of. Why don't you start? You could get paid for watching it. You know, it was a light bulb moment. It was honestly. I remember it's been in the back garden, lovely sunny afternoon, one summer, and I was sort of jobbing around and not really knowing what I was going to do. And that was a light bulb moment. And I put all my energies for the next year, two years, three years, into just trying to get a break. Um, and then once you do, it's up to you. It is. I love that. But when that break came, can you remember that first game that you commentated on and how did you prepare for, for that? Funnily enough, I don't remember my first commentary, but I remember the first game I semi-reported on. And that was York City against Brentford in October 1993 for Club Call, um, which was the old network for, for younger viewers and listeners um, before the internet. You used to have to ring a premium rate phone line to get all the news on your club. A percentage of the money went back to the club. Um, it was the official news line and there'd be various little bits of stories. I mean, it, I mean, a lot of it would be dull. You'd be interviewing the groundsman, the receptionist, you know, anything to do with the club. Um, bits of transfer news that they could tell you. And then, and then on Saturday afternoon, there'd be commentary or reports, depending on the level of club. So York was just reports like every five minutes. You'd phone in a 30 to 40 second report. So anybody that rung in, if they weren't in the BBC Radio York area um, or local radio area generally, they could find out what's going on in the game by just ringing up 25p a minute or whatever. Famously, Elton John used to run up a bill of thousands because he'd be in Los Angeles somewhere listening to the entire commentary of every Watford game on club call down the phone. Um, and that's what people used to do. So as a guy, um, again, given my Sunderland links, I feel awful saying this, but again, there's, there's a Newcastle connection because John Temple, who, who still reports on games for Sky Sports and various other organisations, he was the coordinator of club call in the North East. He's a massive Newcastle fan. And he was doing more work involving Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough in the patch so needed somebody to cover york um and i can actually remember and, and hull city as well they, they were the two a's to flip-flop between doing york games and hull games and that first game it was a friday evening in october 93 and he he rung up the before i had you know, before a mobile um, and he rung up my home phone i was at home still living with my parents at the time and he said would you um come and shadow me tomorrow i got your letter and the letter was weeks if not months previously and I'd forgotten about it in all honesty and he said would you come and shadow me tomorrow York against Brentford with a view to maybe doing it yourself for you know we don't pay a lot but you'll get your expenses at a weekend for your petrol um so I've, I actually said to him and this 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 is advice I give to people wanting to do this to this day never say no because I said uh oh John really sorry I'd love to but me and my friends have got tickets tomorrow to go to Main Road to watch Manchester City against Liverpool. And we had. There was four of us going, like, oh, we've got to a big game. This would be great. So I said no. Got off the phone. Uh, Dad said, who was that? And I said, oh. And he just went, bring him back now and say you're going. And I went, wow, well, going to the game. And I didn't have much money. And tickets, I, don't, I suppose, relatively speaking, they were dirt cheap, but they didn't seem it to me at the time. So, so I can't, I can't, I can't go. We're on the train and I've got my train ticket and we're going, and it was, ring them back now and say you're going. You can do that later, but this, this you have to do this. Anyway, I didn't have his phone number. So I had to leaf through the phone book, the phone directory. And thank goodness, Jay Temple was in there where I knew roughly where he lived. And it was the right number. And I rung him back and said, oh, sorry about that confusion, John. Yes, I'm, I'm delighted to come with you. And I was at the game. I knew plenty of people at York City. I've been close to them anyway all my life. Um, so I knew quite a few people, which helped. 
So I think he was quite impressed that I already was on first name terms and saying hello to quite a few people and half the players, um, who some of them were my age, you know, I used to knock about with them. So he said, look, well, next week you can do this on your own because you're quite capable. Of, I'll show you what to do and you, you're quite capable of doing it on your own. So that, that was it. And that was literally the, the door opening. And I always say to people now, um, just the biggest advice, and I still follow it to some extent now, is just don't say no. Because if you say no to an opportunity, somebody else will say yes. And if they can then do it, that door's shut to you forever. So if you've got a chance to do it, and it's something you want to do, you've just got to say yes. No matter what else is on, just say yes and go for it. And if I hadn't, I probably wouldn't be sitting there now if I had if I had gone to that Man City Liverpool game, of which I cannot remember the result at all. I know York lost 2-0 at home to Brentford. I know that much. Um, York v Brentford. I mean, look at that. 1993. Yeah. League One as it is now, third division as it was then. Well, no, um, Division One, wouldn't it? Or Division Two, or second division to be called. Um, and Brentford Premier League, and there we are, stuck in the National League. It's incredible, really. So your, your dad, get, did you owe your dad a pint then, in regards to? Oh, yeah, I did for many years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just simple advice. Simple advice. Of course, of course. As, as, as I mentioned in my introduction, you've worked for some of the biggest companies and obviously commentated on some of the biggest games. And of course, ITV and BBC, you started I, obviously after. I'm going to go back to the northeast side of things later on because obviously you did a lot, a lot of stuff with Metro Radio and Sun FM, but I want to leave that to a little bit later. I'll bet you but, did. <laughs> <laughs> but starting with ITV, is it fair to say, Guy, that when you joined ITV and when you left ITV, you some of the you, you literally commentated some of the biggest games with some of the best commentators around because obviously ITV had the Premiership highlights of Champions League. Um, I think it did a little bit of Serie A, the Football League, of, and I, I think that all came in with all the, the collapse of ITV Digital, which is obviously kind of maybe just a little bit too early. And it may have worked maybe ten years later. So argue, but what did you learn from that spell? Because I suppose when you've got the likes of Peter Drury, John Champion, Clive Tilsley commentating on set on games as well did you feel that actually i deserve to be in this company company because i'm very very good at what i do um i was young and daft and very raw and very naive um and i'd been at eurosport i'd been doing that in in association with working for metro i'd done the two jobs hand in hand for two and a half three years maybe a bit longer than that um and and bizarrely randomly in my 20s eurosport made me their number one commentator and i was getting all the big games for them which included in 98 the world cup final which was just unbelievable and that was that's still the biggest shock that ever happened to me um so i think i was a little bit maybe a bit a bit full of myself maybe i don't know i so i said those five years at itv for a lot of time i looked back on them and thought and, and by the way it was, it was very lucrative i don't think i've ever earned as much to this day as i did back then not betraying any secrets which is maybe why itv digital i think they they, they threw a lot of money at a lot of things and a lot of football, and it just didn't quite work out, as you say. And I got very frustrated, actually, at ITV, because for three years, I was like their number four commentator, at number three stroke four, and sometimes four stroke five with the late, great Peter Brackley, who was a great guy. So I learned a lot from him. Um, and I used to get frustrated because the rota used to come out in the premiership year. And I was there for a two a year two years before we got the, the the rights to the premiership as it was then um and i used to get frustrated because i'd be at a game one week in four um and the other three saturdays 
I would be like the fourth commentator. So if you remember before Match of the Day, I don't know if you two will remember, but Match of the Day since 2004, that, that was the first time that cameras were sent to every single game and you had at least three mm. highlights every single game. Before then, the three games that full coverage was going to be at were chosen in, adva in advance. And inevitably, because of commercial pressures with ITV, it's, it's a given. Then on a Saturday, if Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leeds, if they were playing on the Saturday, then their game would be picked because you guaranteed viewership. You, you guaranteed viewers. It's, it's a natural thing for them to do. So I then got to commentate on the best of the rest game. So there might be a 4-3 or a 3-2 somewhere else. And they think, right, we've got one two-camera coverage of that sent in through the local the local um, area TV company. Um, so I then had to do retrospective commentary, which doesn't happen now. Everything's, everything's done live now. On match of the day, every single game is commentated live and then edited down. But back then it was like, which one do we put on? Right, okay, well, we'll have brief five-minute highlights of that, that one, Norwich Middlesbrough, say, because it was a cracker. Um, so then I'd have to do it retrospectively, um, which is hard. It's very hard because we're not actors. And I can always tell a commentary now that's been done after the event. I think a lot of people can, and I certainly can being in the business. Um, it's obvious. There's just little things that are thrown in that you know, hang on a minute. If anything now, if I'm asked to do something retrospectively, which very, very, very occasionally I am, I'll make it so raw, I won't put hardly any facts in. I'll try and make it sound like, you know, don't put anything in because it's obvious that you've researched it afterwards. Um, so, yeah, that's what I used to do. And I used to get so frustrated with it and, and quite annoyed. And I just wanted, like a dog on a lead, just wanted to go. I just wanted to, I just wanted to, to do a game every week and wanted to do the big games. And I was impatient. When I look back on it now, those three years, particularly the Premiership, and the five years at ITV in general, were invaluable to me because I learned how to edit a game. I was involved in the process of that. Um, so I also learned sort of almost subconsciously how to commentate for an edit um i don't do it any differently actually to how i commentate live because it's all live so i don't i don't do it any differently but i think my style has evolved so it's little bursts rather than long monologues and, and i know it's easier to edit that way so it's better for everybody really um and that's that was it really. i just learned so much i learned about how the industry worked i learned learned the trade in those five years um so there were good years. There were really good years. And actually, so I still maintain that the Premiership was actually a very, very good programme. Editorially, it was really strong. They just put it on at the wrong time to start with. Again, I, I applaud the idea of it. You know, why mm. wait till 10? We can have this on at 7. Yeah. But it turned out that the sort of people that watch Match of the Day and, and watch the Premiership didn't have control of the remote at 7pm. That was family time and, and somebody else was in charge. So... Um, that, that's how it turned out. In fact, as soon as it was moved in the second season, once it was moved, it might have been halfway through that first season. Once it was moved back to a regular 10.30, I think the viewers went up again. Um, but so I, I still maintain it was a good programme. It just, they gambled on a few things and it didn't work. And and you know what we're like in this country. Once you make your mind, very few people then change their mind. They've just decided it's rubbish and don't give it a chance. So um, there we go. It, that all ended in 2004. They lost the rights and I lost my job and I was back to square one in many ways thinking, what do I do? And then, thankfully, that the, the BBC said, "Well, do you want to do a bit for us? You know how it works." And I was like, "Well, yeah, yes, please." <laughs> yeah, it all worked out pretty well in the end. But I agree that the, the the Premiership was a good show because maybe maybe I'm a bit biased because we weren't rubbish during no, those years. 
we we were we were great. Top at Christmas in two thousand one and uh, two thousand and two, and that was another that was another part. Another part of the ITV years was I got I got to I covered virtually every Newcastle game when when you're in the Champions League. Um, had some very memorable trips. There was one trip to Kiev in particular, uh, Dynamo Kiev away, which was which was very memorable. It involved a night out in a Kiev bar after the game had finished. The game had finished or gone midnight with the time difference. And um, I remember the sponsors at the time, Northern Rock, had sent out quite a few people on a corporate jolly. So we ended up with them all night and basically straight from the bar, straight to the airport. <laughs> it was a wonderful night out, that was. really was. I can imagine. Well, I, I, I was going to... Um, mention actually because um, I'm right in saying you would have done the commentary for when we beat Juventus at home. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. my first, my first Mowbray memory, if you if you like, was Andy Griffin has scored for Newcastle. Yeah, because it, and and it was just so pure because you were feeling the exact same kind of almost shock as we all were. I mean, <laughs> Buffon own goal is just a load of crap. It was Andy Griffin. Come on, and he had Lauren Robert like right next to him. Like, well, why yeah. didn't you just pass it to him? So, yeah. Um, yeah well, I suppose you touched on it a bit with United in Kiev, but those were just great years under Sababi. And, and what what are your kind of memories and and sort of best bits of of dealing with Sababi and, and and that time around Newcastle? Yeah, that, those those two games against Juventus in particular were were, were really memorable. I, I remember being in Turin at the Stadio Delle Alpi and. Um, having a coffee and a cup of tea and a chat with Anton Deck before the match because they were over there, you know. And I, I, I don't think I've met them since, actually. They certainly wouldn't remember who I am. Um, but, um, yeah, that was nice. Um, so Bobby was great because he also worked for ITV as well. Um, so I yeah. got to know him reasonably well um, in his capacity as a pundit. There were some great stories from Euro 2000 in um, Belgium and the Netherlands. Um uh, I mean, oh, some of the, some of the things he used to come out with were just were just pri- unintentionally priceless. But what a great man to sit and talk to and learn from. Um, and the same goes for quite a few other people that I've worked with in that capacity. I work semi regularly now with people like Glenn Hoddle and um, Billy McNeil, the late Billy McNeil in the past, the great Celtic legend. And, and, and listening to the things that they tell you, and David Pleat actually, David Pleat, mm. a font of knowledge of football. I mean, his, his encyclopedic knowledge. Just a wonderful man. And the things he taught me, it might have even been that game, you know. Um, he gave me the best advice. That Juventus away. He gave me the best It might have been that one. It might have been, I went to see Celtic at Juventus as well. So I might be getting confused with, with one of the two things. But we were in a car going to the ground. And at the time, he was the equivalent of director of football at Tottenham. Mm. And he got a call from his secretary. And I could hear everything. And this was a 10, 15-minute call in the cab going to the ground. And I heard everything and things that I probably shouldn't be hearing about contracts and all sorts of things. And he finished the call and he said to me, um, did you get all that? And I went, oh, David, nothing to do with me. Honestly, whatever happens, it goes away. And he just went, um, good lad, good lad. He said, do me a favour. He said, you know this game and you're good at what you do. And he said, he said you know this, this sport backwards. He said, you stick all your career if you can. Stick to the 90 minutes, the first whistle to the last. And just to, just concentrate on that, he said, because you know what that's about. And there might be the odd change to the laws, but fundamentally the game itself doesn't change that much. Because the more you delve into how this game works in the background, the less you'll like it. Mm. And I've tried to live by that advice ever since. And especially now, these days where football is so wrapped up in politics and all sorts. I, tr- I, I know it's quite... 
it, it's bad of me, really. You should, you should, you should take an interest in all these other things. But I really try to. I only know football, quite frankly. So I will, I will take Mr. Cleese's advice because I, I think it's spot on, and it's true. I, I, even my own club, York City, which has had so many problems over recent seasons, when you find out what's happening in the background, it breaks your heart. I don't want to know. Don't let daylight in upon magic. Let's just have the game. The game is the only thing I'm interested in. I think that's the same with fans, though, because when fans go to the game, say they're going to St. James's every other week, that, for that 90 minutes, they forget about work, they forget about other things, and you know, they're there just to watch the football. And and that, they, they take the frustration out on the football, don't they? And I think that's all That's all commentators are. We're just fans. We all grew up as fans, obviously, so we wouldn't be doing the job. So that's all we are, really. Um, we are lucky, or I think you two would probably claim unlucky, that we don't get to see the same team. I think we're lucky that we get a spread and we see every team, and it, that, that's a joy to me. But I must admit, yeah, sometimes you do hanker for, oh, I'd love to be going there every week or seeing them every week. And you know, that, I'm sure you're going to touch on it shortly, but that goes back to my Sunderland days when I, I for five seasons, I covered every Sunderland game home and away and became a part of the club in many ways. And, and I loved it. I still look back on those days. You'll hate this, but they were the best. They were the best seasons of my career, and they always will be, actually. I think it's probably a good time to talk about the Northeast then, because the, the, the Northeast is, it, I think, when you when you, when you you get involved in the Northeast, with either Newcastle or Sunderland, some people will say Millsborough in the Northeast, some people are on the fence, whether they're in Yorkshire. Yorkshire. But, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Um, but all, all I will say is, is that I think you can't really compare it to other parts of the country in the northeast because it is so passionate. You know, Newcastle's a one club city, something the twelve miles down the road, and obviously they're incredibly passionate as well. Do you almost feel a sense of duty when commentating, particularly for just a one club city or one club town or however that may be? Because as you've mentioned, Newcastle and Sunderland, and obviously you say you did work for some of the five seasons. Does, does, do you put more responsibility or more pressure on yourself because of that, or? Again, to just go along with the flow, especially in, the, in those early days. I, I certainly did. I certainly did. I considered it a huge honour because um, I, to, to be as brief as I can, I'm sorry, I do tend to waffle, as you'll notice, but um, it, it's um, when, when I worked for Minster FM in York, which is a local independent station now part of the big greatest hits farce. Um, so it was properly local at the time. And um, they actually owned what became Sun FM in Sunderland as well. So that's when I started commentating on Sunderland. I was working for Sun FM and, and going up there and commentating at Roker Park, um, as was the last couple of seasons there. And um, that's that's how things started to really move for me in my career, actually. It's where people actually started to hear me maybe outside the area as well. And then Metro in 1999, um, was it 99, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. No, no, it was before then, wasn't it? Of course it was. 97, 97, at the end of 96, 97 season. They decided to revamp their sports coverage. I think Charles Harrison was retiring. Um, so they decided to revamp it. So they got me over from Sun to be their full-time sports editor. And one of the first conversations we had was, was Mick Lowe's was so good at what he did. So good. I mean, a better commentator than I will ever be. He, he just, honestly, he, local radio doing that, I, I think he's probably the, yeah, he should have been on national television without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, and Mick was so good that he did the Newcastle patch. And we sort of made it a decision to, for the first time ever, because occasionally they flick-flacked and the commentator had done Newcastle one week, Sunderland the next. And So Sun Newcastle was his patch, Sunderland was mine, and we wouldn't even talk. We wouldn't even... We, we kind of created a rivalry within the radio station. 
And it was the time when rivalry was just starting to ramp up a little bit right around the country. Fan, the idea of being a fan changed a little bit. Uh, I'm not talking hooliganism and all that, of course, but it, 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 you know, actual passion for your team became a real thing. You, no more stories about, like Sir Bobby used to tell me, actually. He used to tell, he used to, from Langley Park, he used to go to Newcastle one week and something the next as a kid. You know, people did in that era. Uh, my dad did. If he went up on the train from York, he would go to both clubs quite regularly. Jackie Milburn, Len Shackleton, they were his heroes, you know. So um, that then stopped happening. So we decided, right, you know what? People know you from Sunderland if they know you at all. People know me from Newcastle. We will just do our own thing. And we did. And it worked. And so when they played each other, for the first time, we split the frequencies and had, if you're in the north of the region, you get Newcastle-based commentary on whatever frequency it is. And on 97.1 FM down in the south of the region, you will get Sunderland commentary. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And it took off. And we won national awards for our coverage, the Newcastle-Sunderland coverage combined. And it just worked. It worked so well. Um, so that, that's what we did. And, and it became a thing you got associated with it. The 98 playoff final down at Wembley against Charlton was, I won't bore you because you don't want to hear about it. So actually, you will want to hear about that one again, obviously. But um, yeah, <laughs> Paul Mickey was a great one. Um, but yeah, it's um, those years were just magnificent. And I did, I did, I did, I did consider it a huge. It's also where I learned properly about Northeast football as well. It is different. You're right. It is different. Um, I get really annoyed with some of the national, largely southern-based media, the way they talk about northeast football. I think you don't understand it. We, we, we've been saying for years, and I'm sure you lot have as well, that I don't care which club it is now. You know, I do. It, it is ready to take off. If just one, it looks like being Newcastle, but by the way, Sunderland are in good shape as well now, and they're on the way. They're on the way to recovery. Um, I think they they are. <laughs> to be fair, we've had two series of the documentary which were just, mwah. but I'm yeah, sure. so yeah, they, they are on the way back. Yes, I'll I'm give sure you. That. Oh, listen, it's good. It's good for you lot as well because let's be honest. Hmm. You look at the fixtures when they come out, and you look at the Man United games and the Man City games and the Arsenal games, but they're not. That's not the game you want to play twice a year. Be honest. You're waiting for one. No, well, that was good. You're waiting for one game, game, and so am I because I'll be doing it. I'll absolutely make sure I will. Um, uh, and I won't be biased either way. I've, I've done Kevin Nolan and co destroying Sunderland 5-1 on Halloween and actually thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, when you do a game, it's just you're in the zone. You don't really think about it. So, um, But a lot of my heart will be at Sunderland because it, it is just ready to take off. And when it does, I know we've been saying it forever and it never actually has, but it, it's different. It's different to everywhere else. Football is viewed differently to everywhere else. And it's the old cliche, isn't it? Football's a religion. Actually, yeah, in the northeast of England, it's as close as you'll get to to an extra an extra religion. Yeah, that was that was going to be my next question actually, because um, I knew you did the the commentary for the for the five one. Um, you say you're some others as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. We don't need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was in the Gallagate that day at the five one with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And uh, after the third goal, the penalty just before half time, she turned around to give me a hug, and I was just like in a pile on of bodies <laughs> at the end of the row. But so, so, do, you, do you miss them games? And like, I mean, you, you are you are perfectly right in saying that if they did come up, it would be the first game we all look for. Of course, it would. Yeah, I, I, of course I do. Yeah, it's, it's the best. It is. It is my favourite fixture in English football. I've done plenty of them. Really? Um, it's my favourite fixture. Whether it be at the Stadium of Light or St James's, I, I will, I will be. Never mind any others. When when Sunderland get back in the Premier League, my name is on them two games. Nobody's having them. 
nobody will want them because they don't want to travel that far. It's not far. <laughs> it's very easy. Um, but I, I, I will. And also, I'd feel aggrieved at somebody else getting it because they won't get it. They won't understand it. They'll just be describing it as, oh, well, it's Derby. No, no, it's no, it's a bit more than that. You want a, you want a history on the Civil War and the parliamentarians and the, the royalists? Well, we'll go that far, shall we? Which I have done in the commentary before. I got a bit carried away. Um, we'll do the whole history of the region if you want. Um, and then you'll find out about rivalry. Um, I imagine, yeah, the Derbys in the Civil War days are a bit more spicy. <laughs> 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 just a little, just a little, but yeah, I, I think obviously from a Newcastle final, I would love to see the derbies back there. They are spectacular events and they, the, the, the build-up is just so intense and it starts in the local media and then obviously it gets built up in the national. It's just, it is just amazing. But um, I, I, would, I would say, honestly, you can count FA Cup finals, Champions League finals, whatever. If Sunderland play Newcastle twice a year, I don't care what else happens in the rest of that season to either club, they're the two biggest games of the year. Simple as. They are, of course. You, you, you mentioned. I just want to go back a little bit on. Um, obviously, go back to the BBC in terms of the very, very beginning of that. Obviously, getting towards to twenty ten, roughly, because you talk about the World Cup with Eurosport being the youngest ever commentator uh, to uh, twenty six in nineteen ninety eight for Brazil versus France. And again, I don't think that record has been beaten yet. So, is it a record? Do we know who's verified it? There might be some somebody who's commentating again for. A- TV station in Chile. Nobody has a clue. I don't know where that came from. It could be completely made up. I would keep that. Keep that award. Just keep that award amongst several awards that you already have. But to be able to take over England games for the BBC for the late over the late John Monson as well, which must be such an incredible honour as well. When you commentate on England, how difficult is it? Because you you obviously you're a fan of York in England now. You, you don't commentate on York every week, and I can imagine if you did, it would be very, very difficult. Because I, I do when I go. Yeah, I get <laughs> quite frankly. But when, but when it comes to England, how difficult is to is it to remain impartial? Because there are going to be some people watching the BBC that probably are from Scotland, Wales, or Ireland, or Northern Ireland, sorry, that don't want England to win. They want yeah. the other team to win. How difficult is it to remain impartial? You've, yeah, you've got to be mindful of that. I always am mindful of that. They would argue that I'm not, but I am always. Um, I just think it's a little bit different. It's the one game, or the, the, the games that I do, where you can be, you can make it clear who you would rather win. It's not to say it's biased commentary. You call the game as it is, as simple as that. If, if there's a free kick, there's a free kick. If, if somebody's playing badly, they're playing badly. Somebody dives, they dive, whether it be Harry Kane or whether it be, I don't know, somebody on the other side. It doesn't matter. You call the game as it is, quite simply. But you can make it clear you want to win because what are you doing? You're basically reflecting. I was thinking commentators doing a job to try and bring the game to the people at home who would rather be there. Presumably if they're watching it, given a chance, they'd be there rather than watching it on TV. So you're bringing it to them. And with the best one in the world, when you're commentating for the BBC or ITV or Sky Sports or wherever it may be, and it's an England international, I don't know what the figures would be, but I reckon it's well over 80% of people watching are wanting England to win. So you've got to reflect that a little bit. Um, and I would do this exactly the same, by the way, for Scotland. And I have commentated on Scotland games. For Scotland, for Northern Ireland, for Wales, for the Republic of Ireland, which isn't even part of the UK. But I would still, I, I'd have the feeling that most people actually want, in, want them to win. And, and I would be the same. Um, the, the difficulty comes, as we've had in a couple of tournaments, it's England v Wales, a major tournament. That that becomes quite hard because I am an England fan. Um, make no bones about it. Um, 
but you just you just get into professional mode. You do honestly. It's one team when the game kicks off. It's one team against another. Um, actually, it's, it's a beauty of when England have played Wales at major tournaments and Scotland at the last Euros. It's actually well, that was nil nil, so it didn't apply. But you can give it the give it the beans for when Wales score, which which makes your job more exciting. Gareth Bale planting that free kick at Euro twenty sixteen past Joe Hart, who didn't cover himself in glory with it. You know that was a great moment. Blimey, Gareth Bell's just scored from there. That, this is this is big, and I enjoyed it. And when you got Robbie Savage next to you doing his not, you can't help but enjoy it because just looking at him, it's um yeah. Now there's a Wales fan. Blimey, he does milk it a bit. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's um it, it's it's great. It, it's it's a real, and it is as I was saying before. It, it's a real honour. Um, I do pinch myself. I remember the 2014 World Cup final in Brazil at the Maracanã. We arrived ridiculously early. And obviously, it had not gone well for England with transitional times and all that back then. Um, didn't expect to do well anyway. But when we got to that final, I remember talking to my, to my producer, and we got there about five, four or five hours before kickoff. And I'm walking around the American Art, which I've been lucky enough to go in over the course of the tournament and the previous year, the Confederations Cup. So I was used to the surroundings. But I actually got a bit teary. And I was, I was thinking, if England were here today, I don't think I could do it. I think I'd be filling up. Like constantly filling up all day, right up until kickoff. I think I'd be crying just all the time. Um, and then we had it at the Euros, which is a bit different because it was just coming out of COVID and what have you. They got to a final and actually found I was all right. In fact, it was just it was just a bigger buzz than ever. Um, maybe it was because it was Wembley. Maybe it was a little bit different, but um, they'll get to another final again. And um, yeah, yeah so it, it is different. It is different. I think you're allowed to be a little bit biased, at least. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, right, rightly so, as 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 you say. Um, I I have this thing in my head whether whether the time came for you, whether you got that call. I was wondering whether you needed to apply. But when the late great John Motson did make that decision to 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 step back, and correct me if I'm wrong, Barry Davis had already stepped back. I think so. Yeah. Um, did you have to apply? Did you just get a phone call off a producer and say? You're the man now, or just, was it uh, was it a tournament of rock paper scissors between you, Steve Wilson, Jonathan Pearce, and Bauer? I don't know. I mean, no, it it, um, it just happened. It just my rotor came up. And I suppose the the first one was the 2010. It was the League Cup final. It was Man United v Villa at Wembley. And I, I the rotor comes out for February, sort of mid January, early mid January, and oh, League Cup final, you're on it. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. Now I didn't think, oh, well, therefore I'll be doing England in the World Cup final. I didn't think that for one minute. By the way, this is not set in stone. So all this idea that I'm the England commentator and I do World Cup finals, there's, there's absolute nonsense. That, that yeah. I, I, I might not get the next one. I might not get the big games next season. I, you know, they, they are generally shared out between everybody is very, very more than capable, brilliant operators. So you've got to be on top of your game to get it. I could I could be dropped very, very quickly because you've got to be doing it's just like being a player. You've got to be on form. There's, there's no, it's no, it's not a job title. It's not in my contract that I do these games. It's you've got to be doing it well. Um, so you know, there's still that moment where you're waiting for the rotor. I mean, even even going to a World Cup, you know, you could be given the rotor, and you, in theory, you're doing the final. But if 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 you're off it in the group stage, I don't think the senior editor would bat an eyelid about saying, you know what, we're going to give it to him because or her because, quite frankly, um, you've not been on your game, have you? You'd have to take it on the chin. It, it's it's what it's one of those things. So. You've got to keep on it. Um, and it, and it just happened then for me anyway. I got the call that I was doing the League Cup final and the, the World Cup went went my way. But in other times it won't. I think that's fascinating, though, because I think everybody 
just assumed because obviously with ITV it was Clive Tilty for such a long time now it's Sam Matterface who's going to who commentates on England games and everyone just assumes it'll be because I think that obviously the press build up with the, the BBC versus ITV in terms of commentator co-coms presenters and pundits and everything well, that's, that's, that's certainly not how it works from my situation. I mean, I don't know about other people at other networks. They might have it in the contracts. I don't know. But um, I would doubt it, to be honest. You've still got to be doing it right. And and it's what, I suppose, once you've got it, you make sure you do it more right than you ever could because uh, you don't want to lose it once you're doing it. But it's, 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 there's no, it's not, not, not just handed. It's not just, no, it's, um, it could go. I hope it doesn't. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it won't. Before we talk about uh, Newcastle, I have to mention one little bit of. Uh, I, I don't know what you call it commentary, or if it's just a, if it's just if it's another cliche. But I, I, just a friend of mine wanted me to mention this, and he's a big Manchester City fan. And he said, when that picture came of Sir Alex Ferguson when Manchester City made it four 0 against Manchester United, Manchester United, and you came out with that quote essentially of that. Not in my lifetime in terms of oh, yeah, yeah. Manchester City ever being favourites for a derby, and now they're always the favourites. And it seems to be repeated everywhere there's a Manchester derby or Manchester derby moments or anything like that. When something like that happens where you just see a moment and you just, just do, you, do you, is it just has to be off the tongue that you just think, yeah. oh, I've got, I've got something like that written down potentially in terms of what Sarah Ferguson may have said about a Manchester City or X, Y, and Z. But I can imagine you may have changed it if it was, say you saw a Kevin Keegan for example and Newcastle were beating Manchester United so I'm sure he would love that something like that I can imagine you would have maybe thought of yeah yeah it's, it's just you know for a game like that that's a Sky game that they're hosting it so the, the director is not working to me he's working to the Sky commentator um, and I can hear the director so I kind of know which pictures they're going to go to um, but they're not working to me so I can't request or oh, can I have a shot of Sir Alex now I've got a great line I, you know, I couldn't do that. I had to. You have to wait and oh, they're going to try and find a shot for Alex here. What, what can I say? You know, and so you, you, your brain's constantly going, thinking of things. And, and I've done a lot of Manchester derbies. So I've got a lot of. I've got years and years of notes backed up and things and all that and what have you. And the shot of him just came up, and I just I, I glanced down at my notes and I, I saw this thing. I said, like, you know, he, he did what sixty old Manchester derbies and what have you. Or, I don't know if it's that many, but um, hardly ever on the losing side and all this. And and, and I just remembered this quote of him. Saying it, you know, I think it, I think it might have been after that first one where City won six one at Old Trafford in their their title winning year, and I think it was somewhere around that time when he was asked it, saying, "Well, does that make them favourites now?" And he, and he said something around the lines of, "City favourites in the derby, not in my lifetime." You know, so I had that written down. So just seeing him like that when it was when Harland and Foden are running a mock, it was just like, it just I, I just I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I've got that. I'll say something along those lines. Um, and you do, you react to what you see. Um, you know, you, sometimes something sort of gives you a shot of somebody and you might not have anything, um, in which case it's better just to stay quiet, I think. But, um, you know, some, sometimes if you're doing a, say, a Champions League game or a European Champions game or a World Cup game, there may be local directors in Germany or whatever who, who will focus on somebody who's famous in that country, but not here. And you genuinely think, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> You've just got to... Just, don't bluff it. Just if you don't know, don't gamble. Just stay quiet. Just, just. You see, there might be loads of people screaming at the television, going, "That's so and so. They're an actor." And I think, oh, I don't know. There's, there's, there's no point. Um, you got, you got to be prepared and, and, and just, just think. It, it, there's a lot of thinking on your feet, and this is why, this is why commentary. People laugh at it, and people poke fun at it, and people always try, which is fine. I get a little bit, I don't know, a little bit po-faced about it sometimes. Um, 
it, it's a bit of a joke. I'm sure you've all seen that greetings card, which is what a commentator says and what they actually mean and sort of taking the mickey out of the cliches. I get that card every year from some sod. Um, <laughs> it's um, and, it, and, and I get a bit po-faced about it because I think, actually, you know what? It is, it is a, I don't want to say skill, but it is a, a process of you, you, your brain and your mouth have got to work very, very quickly, very in sync. You've got, the filter has got to be there. You might think of something and go, no, inappropriate. No, not funny. No, lame. No, whatever. So there's a lot of filtering going on constantly. Um, no, that's rubbish. No, that's okay. No, that's, that's a, bit, a bit cheesy. Yeah, so you do filter as much as you can, but some things will come out because it's a it's a very quick process, and some things will come out that are either factually wrong, and you think, oh, that's they're the ones that you beat yourself up because you know it's wrong. You think, ah, oh, what, what? Um, but that sometimes mistakes will happen because it's two hours of scriptless broadcasting, just having to react very quickly. Um, it, it's is it a skill or is it just it's just just happens? It just happens. Um, I, I liken it sometimes in my own head to if you're watching a batsman in a test match and it's like Mark Woods bowling at 90-odd miles an hour, I swear those guys must see things like the film The Matrix. They must mm. see differently to us because to see the ball and then not only have the time to react to it and then play, but to play the shot they want to play, it, it's a bit grand of me to say it's similar with commentary, but it's the brain and then the mouth. With them, it's the brain and then the reaction. Um, um, not so... You ever face the ball at nine miles an hour in the net? Good God. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. Honestly, it leaves the bowling machine, it hits the back wall, and you just go, what? What? You, you don't you haven't seen it coming. So for them to actually play the shots is incredible. But there we are. It is. It is. Yeah, that ball to Kawaji yesterday was something else. Oh. But um, do, you, do you feel the pressure, Guy? Because with this the sort of revolution in social media i mean you, you go onto twitter on a sunday afternoon and martin tyler's getting pelters because he's not giving it enough oomph when a goal goes in and like during during a, a summer tournament sam matterface is getting criticism because he shouldn't have replaced clive tilsley or, or whatever maybe we'll, that we'll get too it. Soon. Yeah, so do, do, does that make you feel? Does do you have to second guess yourself maybe for when a moment does happen that you have to put a bit extra into things, or do you are you pretty unfazed? You have to shut it out. Uh, I wouldn't say unfazed. No, not not unfazed at all. You do take notice of some of it, some of it, um, but you have to just filter it out. I mean, I the last World Cup in Qatar, I generally didn't even look at it at all. It was quite. I was quite first time ever. I was quite disciplined with it. I thought I don't see what good's going to come of that. So. I'm not going to look at it. They don't know the process. I know I'm doing my best. I know I'm putting everything into it. Not everybody's going to like you. It's one of those things, isn't it? Players must have it 50,000 times worse than we have it. Um, so, no, I, I don't look at it. It used to affect me very badly. It used to really. I'll go back 10 years, sort of when Twitter was was really just kicking off and everything. And Curiosity makes you look at it, I suppose. I, I, I used to, people say, oh, just come off it. Well, A, in this industry, you kind of feel you have to have some sort of presence there. I, I don't like it personally. It's not me, but kind of have to sometimes. Um, people say come off it, but it, it's a bit like if you're in a pub, and we've all been in this situation, and you can hear somebody around the other side of the pub or around the corner of the bar, and you hear your name mentioned, your ears prick up, and you think, what are they saying? What are they saying? It's a bit like that. You're just curious. You, 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 what, what, what are they saying about me? Now, it shouldn't really matter because they don't know the nuts and bolts and what goes into it. Um, so the only criticism I'll ever really take is from people who've been there and done it. 
and or editors that are making the program or what have you. I, that, or if it's my family, you know, my wife says, you've said something ridiculous there, then I'd listen then. Um, but um, you, you generally get quite hardened to it. I'm still quite, well, a bit thin-skinned, to be honest. I should be better than I am. Um, and it does affect you. I used to call, I used to call it jokingly, semi-jokingly, when Match of the Day came on at 10.30, I used to say, here we go, set your watches, death threat hour has begun. And, you know, I say that quite flippantly now, but it, it used to happen quite often, quite regularly. But you know it's not real. You know it's not real. It's just somebody who's getting really irate at their team. And because they've lost, they take it out on the commentator. Weirdly. They also can detach. I think people with that sort of mindset don't realise that we're real people. We're just like you. We're not just a voice. I think because you don't see us, sometimes they can sort of disembody you. You know, that's just a voice. That's not actually a person. Because the number of times when I used to do it, I used to reply to someone, and you can sense the shot. They go, oh, sorry, as if they didn't yeah. realise there's actually a person behind that voice. It's quite weird. Nine times out of ten, the reaction will be, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. You know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic. It's it's So I've, I've learned to ignore it mostly. I still don't like it. I still, I'm still not proper used to it. Um, so the best answer sometimes is not to look at it, which is a shame because I like interacting with people. It's part of part of being human, isn't it, to interact with people? But yeah. some people just don't don't know how to some some in some way. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Right, let's talk about Newcastle United and the Premier League and doing very very well in football, which is a line I never thought I'd say a couple of years ago or even four or five years ago, to be honest with you. But there has been a turn, a change since the, since the takeover, uh, guy. And Eddie Howe is doing an incredible job right now. He's doing an unbelievable in terms of taking Newcastle from near the bottom, well, pretty much bottom of the Premier League, to the Champions League within the space of 18, 20 months since he's been at the club. I suppose it must. It seems to be so much more exciting going to St James's Park right now. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure it's just so much more enjoyable because I can imagine doing. I can imagine being at games, commentating games, going. Well, I, I used to like going to Newcastle back in the day, and now it's almost back to the good days, if you like, because every game now you just don't want to miss. Like the demand for tickets is so ridiculous, and you've probably got one of the best seats in the house. Oh, I've got the, I've got the. There's no doubt about it. I've got the best seat in the house. I've always enjoyed going to Newcastle, whatever division they were in, because our commentary position is the best that I work at anywhere in the world, bar none. We have loads of room for notes. There's loads of space to, to sort of move around a bit rather than being cramped into a seat, which you are in some places. It's the perfect height, the perfect distance away from the pitch. So from a professional point of view, it's always been the best place to go. And, and the, in the in the press room, the, the, the stewards in there, and uh, restaurant, when she was there as well, you know, they always look after you. Um, so you always have a good day. You know you're going to have a good day regardless. For me, it's only just up the road. I generally come on the train as well, so I have a drink afterwards. And then stay in town for a bit. So I, I nearly always go on the train if I can, which is again a bit different to driving and getting your car and going out. It, it's just it's, it's sort of a day out for me. Um, so I, I always enjoy going anyway. And also when you were struggling, forgive me, but you know with my Sunderland hat on, I didn't mind that anyway. So um, I, I always have a good <laughs> afternoon. Um, but it, as you say, the atmosphere has changed. I look at the people sitting in front of me and the, the faces and the, the, the smiles and the, the, the atmosphere is like it was in the Bobby Robson days. It is. You can see it. You can you can feel the excitement. Um, and I, I, I have to hold my hand up, and I have to 
I suppose, apologise to Eddie Howe because I was somebody who thought, nah, not big enough for the project they've got planned. I, I, he was at Bournemouth, did except, I mean, more than exceptional. Went to Burnley, and I, I was very, I was totally wrong to think well, he couldn't hack it at Burnley. Burnley are a big club. I think he's, he's Bournemouth, isn't it? He's gone back to Bournemouth, and he's doing all right there again. Um, I mean, when you look back, more than all right. I mean, an incredible job at Bournemouth. Um, I'm a football snob. Bournemouth don't belong in the Premier League. There we go. But they do because they get the results. Um, but I grew up watching York play Bournemouth. So I, I find it hard to yeah. reconcile two things. Luton can sod off for a start. <laughs> Beat them in that game. Well, Brentford. I think they had the last laugh, quite frankly. I don't think they'll remember 2012. Well, Brentford, again, first game ever covered was York Brentford. So it's bizarre for me. Brighton, bizarre for me to see these teams in, in the Premier League. Burnley, to some extent, even though they are a, a pretty big club in their own right. Um, but um, where was I? <laughs> Got lost with it. I go back to York City and get sidetracked every time. <laughs> um, no, I've been amazed by the job he's done. He's, he's proved that he's more than adequate. I mean, again, with my three lions head, I, I'd love him to be the next in line. You won't. You want to hang on to him for a little bit longer. But I think he'd be perfect. I think he'd be absolutely perfect for that job. I think he's got the demeanour. I think he's got the relationship with the players. He's a modern manager. I just think he gets it. I hope he's given the chance to see it through to whatever... I suppose there is no end game for Newcastle now. That's the thing I was going to say, to see it through, but there is no end game. But I hope he gets the chance to to, to, to be the one who wins something, to be the one who brings mm. that trophy back because um, he's really, really impressed me, really impressed me with, with everything that he's done, how he's gone about it. Um, it's just been right. And we go back to what we were talking about earlier about people in the South don't get the North East. Blimey, he does. And he got it very quickly, which is quite incredible, really. Um, but he got it very, very quickly, and all his staff seemed to as well. They seem to have really bought into it. Um, so, no, more, more power to him. I hope he continues to do well, and I, and I just hope he's given that chance. But all the indications are that, okay, he might have been second choice to Unai Emery at the time or whatever, but um, he's proved himself. And, and I think I think, I think there were I, – I don't see that. I don't see that – just because there's money involved, I, I, I don't see them going down the sort of Chelsea route of, nope, haven't got anything, go. I, I just can't see it at the moment. Might change, who knows? Expect, as, this is the problem, isn't it, with football? As expectations rise, everything changes very quickly. And I kind of don't like that because I've grown up supporting a team that does sod all. I, I still like the ups and downs. I, 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 I'd imagine if you support somebody that wins every week, I, I'd imagine it gets boring. I don't know why, it probably doesn't. But, but I, I like the fact that I, I just like the ups and downs. I remember a few years ago at York, early season, it was, in fact, it was the opening day of the season, and it was a poor game. They just got just got back in the Football League, so it would be 2013, 2012, 2013. There was an old guy called, I think he was called Fred. He used to sit about two rows in front of us at the old ground. And about 10 minutes before, kick, before the full time, he started walking out on his stick. And he'd be in his 80s. He's probably no longer with us, but he, he, was, he was on his stick and he'd be walking out. It takes him five minutes to walk to the edge anyway, to the exit. And I remember somebody behind shouting, you off, Fred? No, same old rubbish. Bloody rubbish. <laughs> can't believe that. Oh, I don't know why I bother. And then about two seconds later, he went, anyway, see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> That's football to me. That's absolutely... He used to shout. I remember I remember this 11-12 this season, we went up. You all got a penalty. We're talking 89th minute penalty, crucial game to win the game. And everybody's sort of like, oh, please, please, please. And then you hear, just literally, as he's about to take the kick, you hear the bloke go, don't miss it, idiot. 
<laughs> I'm an idiot before he's even taken it. <laughs> love it. I love, I love that, that. That's that's yeah. I love that kind of. It's just so pure down there, isn't it? It's like the, it's proper football. It, it's 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 what it's what the game's all about. It is. And by the way, we're now, we're now a mini Newcastle because we have a new owner, and I'm saying this with fingers crossed and touching wood. We have had three or four in a row, the most terrible owners that you could have. One tried for a while and it didn't quite work out and then toys came out of the pram. The last one we've had for the last year, I, I can't believe where he's come from. and I just didn't understand what his ideas were at all. Anyway, sold up after a year and we seem to have somebody now who's going to take us where we might want to go, back into the league hopefully and then beyond. Um, there seems to be a bit of a plan. I'm I'm, I'm touching wood because we've been burned so many times before, but it, I'm, I'm optimistic about next season. I've said that for a bit. Well, fingers crossed there's a bit of a transformation um, for you. Um, speaking of transformation, have you ever seen a transformation like Joe Linton? <laughs> well, who knew he was a left midfielder? Who knew? Um, no, he's been too... I, I thought he got a bit of unfair stick anyway. I, I thought it was a little bit over the top, some of the stuff that he used to get. Um but slotted into this position and, and given an arm around the shoulder and, a, and and reassurances. I guess he'd been given reassurances as well about you are a good player. Never mind this. People used to throw the transfer tag at him as well, the fee. And I, I, I never look at transfer fees. I think if, if they cost what they cost, that's what they cost. You know, and I don't, I don't know. I thought he got unfair stick in the first place. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that big on his transformation. I just think he's now been played in a place that suits him in a confident team with good players around him and, and he's able to shine. So more power to him because he's obviously, he's had to work hard and it's mentally he must be very strong. He must be to, um, to have carried all that and do it. And I'd say I'm more impressed with, with the, 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 the transformation of the whole team ethic. And um, I mean, Almiron is one player that, tra- that that's a transformation. There's somebody I used to love watching almost in a patronizing way. I loved him. Look at him. He's always smiling and he charges about, but God bless him, he's crap. So, you know, that's the <laughs> thing. Whereas now, the same smile, the same energy, but what a contribution. You know, and, yeah. I, and I, I I love watching him play. He's one of my favourite players for that reason. Um, Fabian Scher, bog standard centre-back. He's all right. He'll get into most Premier League teams as first reserve. No, he, he, he's a Rolls-Royce. And, and put Botman alongside him and, and suddenly they've got a pair in there and he looks like a Rolls Royce. He strolls through games. Um, underrated. I don't think he gets the credit that he should, actually. Um, I think Cher's one of the most underrated players. And I do always have in the back of my mind every time, if he makes a mistake, I'm going to give the, if he could turn back timeline, every time. I haven't done it yet. Um, <laughs> it will happen at some point. Um, I'm happy to say I don't know any other Cher songs, so I'm limited to that. <laughs> yeah. One poor pun. <laughs> <laughs> um I think one thing I, I think Newcastle fans are looking forward to is next season, massively Champions League on the horizon, of course. But do you think that you will commentate on Newcastle winning the Premier League down the line, Guy? Maybe. I, I, who knows? Who knows? Uh, maybe. But, but even to say maybe, goodness me, what a change. Because it may be. Um, I don't think next season, but maybe. Um, nobody saw Leicester coming from nowhere. So, you know, it, it's been proved in recent history that it, it can happen every so often. Um, I, I always laugh at this at the start of the season where we always have to say, who's going to be top four? Who's going to be top four? And I will use a quote from one of my predecessors, which, which always 
sums it up to me. Barry Davis, I, I'm reliable in form. He actually told me himself a couple of years ago that he used to say whenever he got to a game and he'd be walking from his car, he'd say, oh, hey, Barry, who's going to win today? And he almost rather condescendingly, but I totally get where he's coming from, he used to say to them, I don't know. That's why I'm here. And that's Love the point. That. If we knew, I'd stay at home gambling and make a fortune if I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> um, don't gamble, everybody's terrible. have to say that these days. Um, but, you know, I, we don't know. And that's the joy. When we look at top four of it, who's going to get in the top four? Well, you know what? I'll tell you now. Manchester City will. There we are. That's as far as I'm willing to commit. Because I don't know. I generally don't know because... Arsenal want to, Manchester United want to, Liverpool want to, Tottenham want to, Newcastle now want to. Chelsea, we don't know what they're going to be like this year, but they certainly will want to be. And they're going to try everything they've got to be there. So you can't fit eight or nine into four. There's going to be four or five disappointed teams, every single, massively disappointed. Villa, by the way. Villa are contending. Mm. They're right up there. So we're talking five or six teams that are going to miss out on what they want to do. And they'll all be trying their best. So... When people say oh, it's failure, we only finished seventh. We're about here. Bloody hell. You're talking to a York City supporter here. This is this is just I know you just said a relative relative lean years and lean years of misery for Newcastle. There can't have been any ever. There just, just haven't been any. Never been below the second division. It, it's there aren't any lean years. And then yeah. when you do go into it, you win more games and come straight back up anyway. It's it's all good. It's all good. It is. It is. Well, um, now Ashley's gone, it's it's even better. Um, but I'd, I'd just kind of sort of final one for me, Guy, about um, commentary. Who are your, who are your favourite co-commentators to work alongside? Who do you feel most comfortable? And, I mean, Jermaine Genus, uh, it was about 20 years ago now, scored an absolute worldie against Manchester United. We lost the game, but it was a great goal. And that when that game? goal went in, my first thought wasn't, there's the guy I want presenting the one show. <laughs> don't know what was a one show a thing then. Um, I don't know, but <laughs> it, it, it's weird how that's going. Kind of, right, I don't want. I, I want that guy presenting the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and you know, and now he's he's, he's doing a, a grand job at uh, you know, co-coms and 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 you know, filling in on match of the day and whatever. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I get on with every every person I work with, and is, is given the job to work alongside me so far. Um, I love Danny. Danny's great. He's got a very sardonic wit. Um, Martin, I love Martin to bits. I mean, he's he's a nightmare to go on tour with abroad. Bloody hell! But a, but a beautiful nightmare as well. Honestly, can I eat this? Can I eat this? Yes, Martin. They're chips. They're the same as at home. Um, <laughs> it, it's a, but he's a he's a he's a wonderful guy. Honestly, he's got a heart of gold as Martin. I mean, he used to terrify me watching him play. But my God, he's he's got a heart of gold. Honestly, he's the nicest man ever. I love Martin Keown. Jay's great. JJ's great. We have great times abroad and we have World Cups and what have you. He's he's great company. Um, so I'm very lucky. I have to say, Loro will always be my absolute favourite because he's like my dad. Um, and he lives he lives quite locally to me now, actually. And um, so we see each other a lot. And um, he's always my favourite because I loved his attitude. A lot of people, they're so younger generation. Maybe they didn't see him play and realise what that, what a player that man was, by the way. Um, I don't think they maybe make that connection and they just, oh, he's an older looking fella and he's making jokes and I don't like it. This is my team. It's entertainment. The business is entertainment. I go to my local pub and they want Loro style commentary. Because they're not they're not obsessed rabid fans who are crying and screaming, shouting at the telly. They're watching a bit of football, 
And if there's a bit of wit along the way and stuff, they don't mind that either because that'll just add to it. So I really like Loro's approach and um, he will always be my favourite, I guess. Because And also, I suppose it goes back to the fact that I grew up watching him and then watching him on television again and then listening to him as well. So I suppose there's a little bit of me looking up to him as well. Um, so yeah, he, he'll always be my favourite, um, but I'm, I've been very lucky. I've had some very good ones. Worked with you know, Ali McCoist, by the way, one of the most underrated co-commentators I don't think he's underrated, actually, but he doesn't do it enough, is Alan Shearer. And I twist, I try and twist his arm to do more of it every time. And the problem is they always want him in the studio for the big games. They want him in the studio because him and Gary have this great dynamic. But I, I don't, I, I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying because I want, I want him next to me for a lot of games as well. That's no no, no offence to JJ, Daniel or Martin because I like working with them as well. But if I, when Al does it, he, he loves it, by the way, when he does it. He loves it. To be fair, we get you see a little bit of it on Amazon, and I know you've done a bit of work for Amazon yeah. as well. And I would love, I would love to see you and Alan at St James's commentating on a Newcastle game. If, it, if it's not with the BBC, then with Amazon, because that'd be fantastic. I'm, I'm not sure they'd allow that to happen. I, actually, Sky, Sky go down that route a little bit at the moment, don't they? We're putting Gary Neville on Man United games. Actually, he's not that. He doesn't really go the top bias with really. Carragher and Liverpool games, things like that. I'm not sure that works. I, I think sometimes it gets a little bit fan TV and you've got to remember there are two teams playing. It's it's not my style of doing it. So I'm not sure it would work at St. James's for an enormous Newcastle game because it, it'd go through the roof. It, it, <laughs> and I think actually he'd prefer to be watching that, just watching it. I'd, I'd, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure that one. I'm not sure commentary on that one would work. But there are plenty of other occasions they do. I'm sure they do. Just finally from me, Guy... I think it's probably the question that everybody asks you. What is the best game you've commentated on? Um, it changes, and it changes all the time, and it it it, it goes. My memory memory changes all the time as well. Um, there's a really corny, cliched answer: of, you know, the next one or the last one, which it genuinely genuinely is. I don't I, I don't really store them up. Um, I'll do two answers if I can. Um, one, I'll do a Newcastle answer. Um, I was recently asked, in fact, it would be coming out soon, the Newcastle United annual, uh, which is mainly for kids sort of thing. And I was asked, what's your most memorable Newcastle United game you commentated on? And bizarrely, the first one that came in my head, I thought, oh, I'll do it, because that's obviously the most memorable, because it's the first one that came in my head. And I then started thinking of others. I thought, no, that was the first one in my head, so I'll do it. And it was an, an opening, you just got back promoted, opening home game of the season and destroyed Aston Villa, 6-0. Yeah. And Andy Carroll got a hat-trick and actually to this day, with one of the most complete centre-forward performances I've ever seen, and certainly his best performance I've ever seen him put in for any club. There were a couple of games he had for West Ham against Arsenal were pretty good, but that game, height, power, pace, pace, he had every, he absolutely ripped them apart. Um, and and that was the first, that's the one I contributed because that game just straight came to mind. I remember as well, it was a bright summer's day. It, it, the atmosphere was rocking. Um Went out in Jesmond afterwards, got the last train home. Um, so that that was that was the most that was the most memorable one for Newcastle. But of all time now, I have a new one since December because the World Cup final in December was just just the best, just the best. I, I, I the ups and downs of that game, two hours plus of just being glued, just could not leave it for a second, you know, metaphorically leave it and switch off for a second. It was just magnificent. And for Messi to have his crowning moment was, oh, just that, that, that was a real privilege to be at. Um, 
yeah, that, that that would be that would be the best right now. And I, I hope I got it right. Nine times out of ten, you leave a commentary, and and this is honestly true. Nine times out of ten, you come away thinking, "Oh, I messed that up. Oh God, I think I could have done that better." And then you watch it back later, and you think, oh, "Actually, it was all right." The one time in ten where you think you've done okay, you watch it back, and you think, "Oh, it wasn't that good after all." It, it's weird. It, it works like that. It does work like that. That game, I was pretty happy with. I've never watched it back actually, but I think I got the big moments right. So that's all, that's all you can do. Hope so, anyway. Anyway, I enjoyed it. It's not said, a very choice. <laughs> you certainly did, guy. And I'm not even lying this morning. Just, just in the last little bit of prep, I just thought I'm going to listen to that just to see if there was anything that you said that I can include, but it, you actually got the tone bang on. I, 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 actually, I actually think the Mbappe moments were even better because I think the third when the penalty went into 3-3, three, three, oh. I think he, that was actually a moment that is probably more significant because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen after that. Oh. But it was amazing. Amazing to listen to anyway. Just what what a, what a game. And then just afterwards, I didn't go to bed that night. Uh, well, I did actually. I went to bed in the morning. Um, we managed to get some alcohol, which in Qatar is not easy. Um, but we managed to get some back at the hotel. We're in uh, we're in somebody's room, and I was having a drink with um, Pablo Zabaleta. How many people can say that? I was having a drink with Pablo Zabaleta, who had his Argentina shirt on over his suit. And there's a man who's been there and played at World Cups for his country, won the Premier League, and he was like a little kid. He was like a little kid. And he's on the phone to Messi and he's on the phone to Aguero while I'm with him. You know, and, and oh my God, he was just, that's one of the best photos. I've, I will keep that one forever because I was filling up. I was chuffed for him. And, but to see what it meant to a grown man who's been there and done it. Yeah, you might think there'll be a tinge of him thinking, oh, why didn't we do it when I was playing? I wish I'd been part of that, but not one bit of it. He was so chuffed for his country and his mates. And it was a, he'll be a good manager, by the way, somewhere one day, I think. I think he's, um, He's a sharp, sharp guy. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, it may, might be for Newcastle United. Who knows? But hopefully, anyhow, oh, yes. no. <laughs> Guy, it's been an absolute pleasure. It is, I've honestly really, really enjoyed listening to you talk about commentary, even the Sunderland bit. I even enjoyed listening to you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how much I've enjoyed, that's how much I've enjoyed listening to you today on the Brew and the Mormon show and I'm sure Sam will echo the same sentiments I can imagine. Yeah, well, uh, they'll, yes. they'll be back. You won't, you won't be coming down anytime soon, so they'll be back. They'll be back to join you soon. That'll be oh, that'll, oh, two great games to look forward to. Hopefully mm. the season after next. <laughs> Sam, any last words? I've just upset him. Oh, is he gone? No. Uh, just the... <laughs> no, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. My Wi-Fi is uh, reignited. <laughs> you're back, you're back. Any yeah, last words, Sam? It's just terrifying. Uh, just that, um, all the links are in the description for the audio podcast. If you're listening on Apple, hit the five-star review and listen to the other episode as well. But yeah, Guy, it's been an absolute honour and a, pre- a pleasure to uh, to speak to you today. No, thanks for having me. And uh, see you in August. Certainly so, certainly so. For myself, Jonathan Green, my co-host, Sam Milner, and Match the Day commentator, Guy Mowbray. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.